Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Uh, One of the people that brings me a lot of life is the gentleman that I asked to come speak, uh, Ted Yap. Ted, why don't you come up? Ted is the Director of Operations at Reconciliation Church, a church that I was a part of. It's a multiracial church in Nightdale. Uh, Ted and I have known each other for seven years, and uh, he's just a delight to my soul. So uh, I get a chance to listen to one of my really good friends and to sit under uh, the word with him. I want to thank you so much for coming, and uh, thanks for serving. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. Uh, It's good to be with you guys. Uh, It's good to see some familiar faces that I didn't think I might uh, see. Um, Forgive me if I've got spit up anywhere. My wife and I had our first kid six months ago. Right now is his optimal nap time, but even as I was getting in the car, I felt like, am I like wet in certain places, and I've got spit up, and so that's, you know, I probably have spit up somewhere on me, so forgive me. Um, It's good to be with you. We're going to be in Acts 15 today. If you have a Bible, uh, either physical copy or on your phone, please uh, turn there. I'd love to encourage you to follow along. Um, It'll be on the screen as well, but I I really encourage you to follow along for two reasons. Uh, One, I I want you to see that I'm not making anything up on my own. And two, I I really want to encourage you that you can read the Bible for yourself and understand what it means. And so we'll, we'll be in Acts 15 Uh, today. Um, Acts 15 verses 1 through 35. Uh, Before we jump in, I want to invite you to stand. I'll, I'll read the whole passage for us. Acts 15, starting in verse 1, it says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, 
After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your written word. God, I pray that we wouldn't hear from just me today, but that we would open up our hearts and ears uh, to hear from you. God, we uh, invite you in this place. Uh, We need you. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Amen. Uh, so I've, over the last few years or so, uh, I've finally been able to put words uh, to some of the unique experiences that I had, uh, really still have, but had growing up throughout my childhood. Um, part of that is what I would describe as having brown skin, but a white mind. Uh, I grew up with just my white mom in western North Carolina, but with the great complexion that you see on the stage before you, I was given this by my Filipino dad. I never really interacted with my family in the Philippines, maybe uh, saw some Filipino family members once a year. But the way I view the world is very much through a Western North Carolina lens. Here's what I mean. Uh, I love bluegrass music. I feel naked without a pocket knife on me. I really don't understand why anyone would try to choose a profession if they weren't passionate about it, rather than choosing a job 
based off of your broader family and their context and how you might contribute to the family as a whole. Growing up, I couldn't reconcile that there might be things that aren't wrong with how someone might view the world, but they just weren't the same as how I saw the world. And really what happened was it created disunity and, and, and put up a barrier of trust between me and my family members, even the way that they spoke about things. I'm willing to bet that you've had to come to terms with your own biases as well. You've probably interacted with someone where you've thought, why do they view the world like that? It's not actually a wrong thing, but why do they live that way? All of us have biases or things that we think make someone acceptable. Even someone that shares the same faith as you. You know, these are most of the time things that we wouldn't say out loud, right? Maybe you uh, distance yourself from people who maybe are overly emotional. You're like, I, that person is always emotional about something. Or, or maybe you just, just enjoy being around people who can vacation the same ways that you can vacation. A, a big one I'm already experiencing this. And I only have a six-month-old, but like, oh, those people only educate their kids a certain way. So they are really following Jesus. The other people who, I'm not even going to mention the different ones, right? Because I want you to listen to the rest of the sermon. Um, right? Education preferences for our kids don't make us acceptable when it comes to the community of faith. But these are things that we use to put up divisions between each other. You see, God knew that we would have trouble accepting people into our faith community that have different preferences and norms than us. So he gave us this passage that we have today. And here's our big idea. If you miss the whole rest of what I say, the big idea for today is this, that since God saves by grace alone, we should pursue unity with other Christians. And here's where we are in this passage Jesus' disciples are going out. They've been commanded to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas have finished the first of their missionary journeys. Things are going really well. Even though they've experienced violence against them, people are coming to faith and being added to the church. At the end of Acts 14, we see in verse 27, it says that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's non-Jews. This is a big deal. Jews and Gentiles coming to faith together and being brought in community. And things are going so well that a problem arises. Let's see what happens. Verse 1 says, men came. These are Jewish Christians that are imposing a teaching that Gentiles, anyone that's not Jewish, needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. They're essentially teaching that non-Jews that come to faith in Christ have to observe the whole Mosaic law in order to be accepted. So their message would not have been a message of grace and joy. It was grace plus a Jewish lifestyle. Grace plus circumcision. 
This would have been really upsetting. Like, you should already be squirming in your seats a little bit if you were a follower of Christ. But Paul and Barnabas, they're ready for this conversation. It's probably a pretty tense conversation. And this is so serious that they decide to go back to Jerusalem and ask others about the topic. Now, notice this. Verse 3. On the way back to Jerusalem, other Christians rejoice at the fact that Gentiles are coming to faith. But when they get to Jerusalem, verse 5, they find out that this false belief is widespread. There are Pharisees who have become Christians who hold on to the same idea that Gentiles should be circumcised in order to come to faith. So listen, what they experience here in this text, and in our current time too, we will always find people that oppose the gospel of grace. And not only that, we are tempted to add to the gospel of grace ourselves. The gospel brings different groups of people together, but we naturally want to create divisions between each other. So here's our first main point for today. Since we are saved by grace alone, we should have a diverse community. Look at this. There's lots to celebrate from the disciples' work. People are coming to faith. Gentiles are being saved. Again, this is an incredible thing. Two highly contrasting groups being brought together as one under Jesus Christ. It would be an understatement to say that this is a diverse community. But people are saying, well, first, you need to do this. You need to become Jewish in order to be saved. Now, I think it's important to point out that these people aren't like some kind of obvious bad guy from a Disney movie, you know? Like, we wouldn't just see them and be like, oh yeah, those are the people that are opposing us. Like, they've got flared nostrils and the way, you know, their outfits and everything. Like, oh, those are the bad guys. One pastor regarding this passage points out that these Pharisees, these, they've come to sincere belief in Jesus Christ. Becoming Christian would have been costly to them. They would have been torn between losing their status in society and following Christ. The problem is, they brought their experience and their tradition and their background and, and made those things the norm for those who were under grace. If someone came to faith in Christ, they would force others to go through extra steps. And so we're not excusing the Pharisees here, right? But their context helps us to see that they lived as a direct result of their cultural environment. This helps us because this is what we do as well. We have to sympathize with these folks a little bit because all of us bring something with us. All of us bring something culturally or historically that we think will make us right before God. We all have some way that we view the world that we assume others should hold on to that same view too. Do you see what's at stake here though? 
The gospel says we're saved by grace alone. Through Jesus Christ alone. His work. That's it. These Jewish Christians are saying it's Jesus and his work plus a work that you do. That's not a gospel at all. Since we are saved by grace alone, we should have a diverse community. If you're listening, I hope you're asking Ted, well, how do we do that? Well, let's keep looking at the passage. Peter stands up at this council debate, and he says in verse 7, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. This leads us to our next point. If we're going to have a diverse community, well, since we're saved by grace alone, we should live grace-filled lives. Peter says, grace comes freely. God makes no distinction between people as far as faith is concerned. There's nothing about you that made God want to save you. Everyone's heart is cleansed by faith. Everyone receives the same Holy Spirit. Then Peter has his conclusion in verses 10 and 11. He says, Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So he's saying, I'm confused. Why would you make someone new to following Jesus keep the law when none of us have been able to keep the law ourselves? See, the whole point of the Mosaic law was to show them that they can't measure up. So he's saying, yeah, it's obvious. We're saved by grace alone. Uh, Verse 11 here is really the main point of what we would call the doctrine of salvation or what we believe of how we're saved. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or how you speak or why you choose the job that you have. Everyone is saved through the grace of Jesus. After Peter speaks, the crowd's still silent, so they're We're guessing that they're still really engaged, right? Paul and Barnabas start to tell about everything that they've experienced with God doing amazing things among the Gentiles. And then James speaks in verse 14. He says, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So here, James, referencing mostly the book of Amos, he's saying, 
Also, God already said this in the Scriptures, that He would save the Gentiles. That the tent of David and the rest of mankind, so the Jews and the Gentiles, we would all share in the same Messianic blessing without becoming Jewish. And then He goes on in verse 19, and He gives these restrictions that He says will promote unity. He says, therefore... My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So he's saying, hey, Jews, ease off the Gentiles. And to the Gentiles, he gives these suggestions, these restrictions. Stay away from idolatry. Abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from strangled food or blood. Now look, these aren't just made-up restrictions, right? These are thoughtful things that he tells us. And he actually tells us why he says them in verse 21. He says, For from ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. There's Jews worshiping in every community that you're in. So stay away from these things because the way that they live, the things that's important to them, you'll offend them if you do those things. Those who are saved by grace live grace-filled lives. Listen, I... I think if we truly understand that we're saved by grace alone, the gospel will just propel us or, or unleash us to want to pursue other people. And not just other people, but people who don't live and look like we do, especially Christians. The very fact that I don't have to live in a way to gain any approval by God means that I'm not worried about getting approval from anyone else. And actually, I will see God's gospel of reconciliation and redemption in a much more beautiful way as I interact with other Christians who don't live like I do. Keep in mind here, James isn't saying like, well, you got to tiptoe around the Jewish Christians because they'll pitch a fit if you do these things, right? No, he, he's saying these things are so important to them, important to their way of life, that out of love, out of a desire for unity in the church, would you consider setting aside those things? Would you consider setting aside the things that you're free to do? Especially with the food things that he's talking about here, not with the sexual immorality piece. Would you set that aside, though, for the sake of unity and so that people can know the gospel? Oh, one pastor, Kent Hughes, points out that there are two principles relevant for us from this passage. Uh, number one, if you're under grace... Don't make unbiblical requirements for others. 
You see, then it was Jewish culture being imposed on others. Now it's us forcing certain Christian things that, that really aren't God's requirements on us, right? The way we dress, certain language we have, whatever your ideas about alcohol might be. Uh, I already mentioned earlier education for our kids. We have all these unwritten things in Christian subculture of what we think makes us acceptable. I wore this plaid shirt because you're like, preachers wear plaid shirts when they're, pre- they're preaching. Um, you see, if we push preferences onto others, if we live in a way that communicates you're only accepted by living a way that is totally separate from the Bible, we are in sin. You would never say that that's what you believe, but we can live in ways that indirectly communicate to others that, man, you're only accepted into our small group or our church or my family if you live and look a certain way. Second principle is this. Because we're under grace, we should restrict our freedom for the sake of others. Again, in this passage, nothing's inherently wrong with certain foods. But for the sake of the gospel, cook your food a different way. Would you do something different when you consider what's important to someone in their life? so that they might see the gospel more clearly. As I was preparing this week, I couldn't help but think of the life of the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar, you might know that the Apostle Paul was a man with an impressive resume. Uh, He was a Roman citizen, which gave him rights and privileges that non-citizens didn't have. Uh, He was educated by one of the best teachers of the Hebrew law in history, And it came from a prominent family line. Uh, Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You know, earlier this year, uh, my wife and I were FaceTiming with some friends who who live in Georgia. And uh, I I was asking my friend, hey, what's it been like for you guys and your church, like last handful of years, different views on COVID, how to handle it? continuing tensions over race in America. Like, what's it like navigating that with your friendships, especially like in the church? 
And, and my friend looked at me and he said, oh man, it's been easy. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, oh yeah, it's, it's been no problem for us. Like, things are fine. I was like, what are you talking about? Is that true? And he said, oh, well, everyone who had one idea about how our church should uh, navigate COVID, everyone on one side of the issue left. So, of course, things have been easy now for them, right? You know, I, I, I don't go to that church, so this is easy for me to say, and you're not that church, I don't think. Um, they're in Georgia. But I don't know how you navigated COVID or how you've navigated anything else, and so this is fine for me to say, actually. Um, that church in Georgia, what a poor example and understanding of the gospel. The gospel brings us together in unity, regardless of my opinions and preferences. Paul, a man with lots of freedom, solid opinions, he had preferences, believe me. He laid these things aside so that he could reach people for Christ, to follow Christ and help others follow him by every means possible. Or could you imagine? He's going all across the Mediterranean, varying cultures in the first century, people with all kinds of cultural preferences, people who have been oppressed and people who were oppressors. Lots of conflict, brokenness, issues of equality for the sake of Christ so that people could be saved. We put aside value in this life. We put aside these little preferences that we have so that people could know Jesus. I think this will take a lot of reflection on, on your part. Uh, but what spaces in your life do you need to adjust so that you could live in a way where people can see Jesus more clearly? Where might you need to flex on your preferences for the sake of unity in this church? Since we are saved by grace alone, we should have a diverse community. To have a diverse community, we should live graciously towards others. This sounds pretty difficult, doesn't it? On one hand, we have to be aware of if we're putting unbiblical requirements on others to be acceptable to us. On the other hand, we're being asked to be aware of things that we are probably free to do in our lives, but for the sake of the gospel and unity to put aside. I think the question really becomes, why would you be willing to do this? Look back at the passage with me. The council comes to an agreement that we are saved by grace through Jesus. Paul, Barnabas, and others are sent back to Antioch and report on this conclusion to people. They say to the people, hey, we know others have been troubling you by putting unnecessary requirements on you, but, verse 28, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Abstain 
from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from, yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Then verse 30, they so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And don't you think it's interesting that the people in Antioch rejoice? I mean, they get clarity on what the gospel is and that they're saved by grace. But then they're also asked to restrict some of the freedom that they have. We're saved by grace. The gospel gives freedom. It gives you freedom, but hey, by the way, we want you to restrict some of these things. For the sake of unity. Why would you set aside freedom or preferences that you have? For the sake of unity. You can eat whatever you want, but since there are people in your church who will be offended, consider changing that. This leads us to our last point. And this is also how we'll close today. Since we are saved by grace alone, we should rejoice. You see, these Christians in Antioch rejoice because even though they're asked to refrain from eating certain things, their lives are changed. The gospel is clear. And so out of love, of course, why would I do something that's offensive to other Christians? They rejoiced because they thought there were going to be stricter requirements to following Jesus. And now they're like, great. I know how I'm saved. I'm, I'll do whatever I can. I'll rejoice because of the clarity that I am saved by grace. Who wouldn't want to do whatever it took for others to know who Jesus is? When we rejoice in the good news of the gospel, we will rejoice in the opportunity to live in ways for others to see Jesus Christ. Do you find yourself rejoicing? Do you find yourself holding the gospel as something so precious that you'd be willing to examine your life? And see how you could pursue unity with others. If you're not a follower of Christ today, I'd love for you to consider there's nothing greater in this life to rejoice in. There's lots of things to enjoy in this life, but all of them pale in comparison to following Jesus. Friends, if you're saved by grace alone, Pursue people. Pursue unity with other Christians because you're saved by grace alone. Because you're saved by grace alone, rejoice in the work that God will do and that He's already done. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, the gospel is true. And God, that there's uh, nothing we can do to work or uh, earn your approval, but we're already approved of because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection.
And God, it's in you that we find uh, fullness, hope, joy, and something to truly rejoice in. And God, I pray that today we would find ourselves a people wanting to pursue others out of the grace we've received from you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.